Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. This is our second installment of the interview that we are doing with the Mind Shift Podcast, Mr. Clint Heacock. And in this one, we're talking about deconstructing the process of eliminating the things and the values that you didn't believe in your faith that you were forced to, or maybe you used to believe, but you just don't anymore. Anyways, episode 65, Pilgrims and Prodigals. I know we only have you for a certain amount of time, so I'd like to get into uh, your notes here and getting into reconstruction after deconstruction. So tell us a little bit about deconstruction um, from your mindset and, and, and some things that you've been through with that. Well, for me, I think that what I wrote in there was that I think a lot of times we think that deconstruction is the goal, mm-hmm. and that's that's what I thought for a long time. You know, deconstruction was everything. I have to, you know, tear down all this stuff. I got to burn some of this stuff down. I've got to deal with a lot of stuff. And I'm still deconstructing for sure. Oh, yeah. But I've come to see probably in the last five, six months that that's only part of the story. Mm-hmm. That yeah. the reconstruction piece is just as, if not in some ways, maybe more important than just tearing it all down. Mm-hmm. It's like knocking down a building. You know, I'm I'm a carpenter. I'm a builder. You know, th- yeah. there is a point where I have to tear down the existing structure, but I've got to build something in its place that was hopefully better and different and more useful and helpful to other people than what was there before. Especially if it was, if it was full of dry rot and you know termites and you know mm-hmm. structurally unsound. And so that that that's kind of how I see it as a as a carpenter as a builder. I got to tear something down, but then I need to build it back up after it's been de- deconstructed, really. Yeah, and that doesn't necessarily. I, I'm I'm guessing from the point you're coming from, that doesn't necessarily. You have to deconstruct your faith and then build your faith back up. It just like you as a person, as a human, have to yeah. you know filter out all the bad that's happened, and then make something of the life that's left after. Not and not, I because mean, some people are like you said they're not even in the faith anymore they don't want anything to do with Christianity they don't they're they've gone from you know being burned by the church to being an avid atheist but there still has to be something left of the life that came out of that church that becomes something powerful and useful you know what I'm saying yeah well there's there's a huge piece of this is something I learned from David Hayward the naked pastor and he said. You have to find ways to embrace and integrate your past into your present and yeah. what the person you're becoming. Mm-hmm. And that really blew me away because I thought, you know, for yeah. a long time I was pissed off. I was angry because I wasted 20 years. But then he's like, no, wait a minute. I mean, you learned a lot. You learned you, you learned the academic uh, process. You, you learned how to think critically. You, 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 it, it shaped you. It made you somebody and, and the person you're becoming. If you just wall that all off that that's not healthy and it's not it's not real it's not even true yeah exactly. so you have to find ways to process that stuff work through it and then it's all about reconstructing or reforming a, a totally new identity because as you say religion is it's all pervasive so it affected every area of our lives it, it formed our identities our worldview it affected our relationships and our, our careers in many cases and you, you walk away from all that and you've got nothing 
you, you have to build it for your own sanity. You got to do something yeah. positive. Yeah. So, you know? but I think I think that's a good point that you were saying because you didn't you didn't waste your life being a pastor for however many years you were. I didn't waste my life being in the church. Ben didn't waste his life being an elder and a pastor in a church. We learned, and I think the reason we're still doing this is because part of us still believes, but we want to find out what true religion is. And I think that's the cry of like the heart of millennials is we want to find what real religion, what real church, what real God is. And all we know is that Whatever bullshit we ran into in the past, that's not it. That's what we know. But what we're trying to do is figure out what it is. So, you know, decon yeah. like you're saying, deconstruction is not the goal. It's not the main goal. Throwing away all of my past and getting rid of everything I once believed is not the goal. I want to get the bullshit out. You know, I want to get yeah. rid of all the things that made no sense, the things that were manipulative and wrong and hurtful but i don't want to um you know the analogy of throw throw out the baby with the bath water the water's gross the water stinks it's probably got some shit floating around in it <laughs> but i want to get rid of that but i don't want to get rid of jesus i don't want to get rid of little baby jesus yeah <laughs> little baby oh, but there's another angle to that what you just said uh, not only is deconstruction not the only goal deconstruction looks different for everybody. Exactly. The guy yeah. that's coming out on my podcast this week, uh, it was a guy that I met. He came up to our live podcast back in September when I was in Seattle. And I did a podcast episode with him about a week or so later. And basically for him, he believes in God. He's had profound experiences of God where he's been physically healed. And he can't explain that other than say, it's, I think it's God. Yeah. But his deconstruction was the sloughing off of all of the dogma, like you said, all the bullshit, all the evangelical fundamentalist dogma that he'd been raised in. And when he did all that, he felt like he's found an authentic spirituality, whatever that means. Uh, but he doesn't consider himself a Christian per se. Yeah. But like you say, you gotta, that's not my journey, but I can resonate with a lot of what he was saying for sure. Yeah. Cause I did a lot same thing. I read a lot of the same kind of progressive authors, and that's where I started sloughing off a lot of the, the strictures and the structures of, of dogmatic theology. And that's where a lot of it started for me. I started saying, well, I don't need to hold on to this stuff so closely and so tightly. I can let a lot of this go. Yeah. And once I started that, I realized, well, how much of this is really all that important? I thought it was all important before. Yeah. And that was a huge step in my journey years ago when I was still a pastor. That's why I wrote that paper, because I thought, you know, I feel for people, man. What are they supposed to do if they're in a church, if they're a church minister, and they're really questioning everything? How free are they to share their own journey without fear of getting fired? Exactly. Or some sort of, it's a tough place to be. I wouldn't want to be there in that place for sure. Yeah, like, how do you admit you have struggles as a pastor? You can't. Not in the not in the current setup that we have. That sucks. I hate that. And, <laughs> and yet they always say you. We want you to be real, Pastor. We want you to be transparent because you know we want to learn from you. And and you know, of course, you make mistakes. And no, you can't. They put you up on a pedestal, and then they start throwing rocks at you. And so you have to be this super spiritual person. And then if you do ever admit that you did struggle, 
it ends up getting used against you somewhere later. Oh, yeah. So yeah it, system. it happened to me. In most churches, you can't even be a congregate and be real without people trying to get in your life and do their thing to your life, much less be a pastor. For someone who's called into ministry, it's like impossible to find not, – not impossible, that nothing's impossible, but it's very, very difficult to find – a place where you can actually be real and the church board and the congregates and your family are all totally chill with you. Just like, I don't even know what I believe anymore. And everybody's like, look, man, we're here for you. Like what that, that kind of church is so foreign and that sucks. So that's so terrible that we have, we don't have a place like that for ministers. And so the only other option is if you want to minister to people and share the love of Jesus, you've got to wall yourself off and struggle within yourself. Yeah. And you don't you can't have the support that the church is meant to provide during your time of struggle. And then you have guys that, you know, they hold that in for so long and then just completely go off the rails and you find out they were alcoholics and beating their wife because they had if they would have just been able to deal with their alcoholism or, you know, their anger problems or something years prior they would have been fine but they had to hold that shit in for so long that one day it just exploded yeah or their other solution the church gives is you should take a sabbatical just get out of here (laughs) while you struggle just go go away and struggle by yourself yeah (laughs) that's the answer want to hear about it we don't want to see it yeah yeah yeah, i mean yeah that's fine if you're struggling you just go away until it's over and then come back when you're nice and pretty (laughs) it's so gross yeah but the church like you were saying, you cannot suppress, well, you can suppress your cognitive dissonance for a long time, but it will manifest itself somewhere in very unhealthy ways. Like yeah. you say, alcohol, pornography, drugs, mm-hmm. spousal abuse, depression, anxiety, whatever it is, it's going to come out. Yeah. And, and it's going to, what I say in my article is it makes it a thousand times worse, as you say, for that pastor or the church minister leader who's, you know, struggling with stuff, uh, he, he or she cannot admit that they're struggling. No way. And that's so unhealthy. And it's so ironic that, as you say, that's supposed to be, church is supposed to be a safe place. That, that's what they told us. Yeah. But it's absolutely one of the most unsafe places yeah. for people to be real, which is just crazy. I mean, it's just nuts if you think about what, what it's supposed to be about. What are you here yeah. for? That's what I said in my article. I got you got to ask these people. What the hell are? You, why are you even here? Seriously. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Why are you here? What do you What do you want to get out of this thing? What do you think <laughs> I'm supposed to be here to do? If I'm the pastor, what, what do you expect of me? I love and, it. And Dude, if you start discussions, then you're going to start getting real, but you might get fired for it. But you should have those kind of discussions. Dude, if I had a pastor like that, I would love it. Like it. He gets up on it, you know, gets up on the pole and he's like, what the hell do you want from me? I'm like, dude, yes, <laughs> I am never church. leaving. <laughs> I belong here. But it's all about expectations, yeah. you know, because there's a lot of, of um, unrealistic and unspoken expectations projected onto the pastor. And yeah. the pastor is also projecting things onto the congregation. So there's all these expectations going flowing back both ways. And no one really ever speaks them out. But if you if you ever break one of those tra- um, expectations, you're going to get in a lot of trouble. But exactly. you didn't even know it was there. Yeah. But you're like, well, I didn't know I was supposed to be doing that. I didn't, I, you know. 
and it blows up in your face, you know? So it's crazy. And that's where I, in my article, I said, the, I had a whole list of questions that pastors should ask of their congregation. And if you want to get real, then start asking those kind of questions. And yeah. what you're doing is you're uncovering the culture of the church and the expectations people have. So you can actually start to address uh, the deep level worldview type stuff and go, okay, let's, let's just get it out on the table. What are we, what are we here for? What do we think we're doing here? Yeah. And if we can't, if it's, what is it about? Just, you want me to confirm what you already believe? Well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm not here to do that. I don't want to, but a lot of churches. This, let me stroke they, your theological ego. Yeah. They, they come to church every Sunday to be confirmed by the pastor, by the preacher in what they already believe. And if you digress from that, you're in serious trouble. If you, yeah. if you push them a little bit farther than they, they're prepared to go, man, watch out. Yeah. It's no, going to blow the thing that really like breaks my heart about church uh, is that I know I joked around about saying like I'm ready for another reformation, but I really genuinely honestly believe that if we were to go out in the world and create the kind of church we're talking about right now, where it's 100% open, you're, you can have a spiritual journey, you can disagree with the pastor you're totally accepted. The pastor can start to disagree with his sermons from last year, and he's still totally accepted. I think that to have a church like that, you would literally have to create an organization that the whole of Christianity in, in and of itself would say, that's not the real church. That's not a church. Just like in the Reformation where the Catholics would denounce Protestants and Ooh. say, that is not the church. That is so far off of what Christianity is. It's not even the church anymore. And I think if we made the kind of church we're talking about, that's what westernized religion would do to us. They would say, that's not even the church anymore. Damn, I've never thought about it like that. Like we would literally have to create a secondary reformation from the laws and and ways that have been established here. Yeah, I got goosebumps, bro. Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> that's crazy. That's the thing, isn't it, is that you, are we starting a church or are we just actually sitting around and being actually real and honest and, and open about what we're, where we're at right now? Well, in a way, uh, in a way, I feel yeah. like that's what we are doing. I, not necessarily like an actual church, but I don't know how you feel, but all the conversations that I've had with other people talking to you, uh, different people, Suzanne and Steve and different people I've had interviews with on the podcast, we're connecting on a global network of people who see the bullshit, they see the problems, and they genuinely want to fix it. And yes, we're not accepted by the majority of Christianity, but we can kind of create that, you know, air quote, congregation amongst each other of like, okay, let's let's deconstruct and then let's let's build what what would actually be helpful to the world the thing that well, I think, oh go ahead go I'll ahead go, my my thing is i'm not at all interested anymore in fixing the church yeah. i used to be so passionate and i'm still passionate about it on a weird level mm -hmm. but i i've shifted i realized i used to be that guy that wanted to fix it i was mm -hmm. and that's what i taught my students was Look, the church has a lot of problems. There's no doubt about it. We can talk about those. But when you go into ministry, you're going to do it. I want you to do it different. You know, I want you to be real and, and all these kind of things we're talking about. 
but I, I don't want to fix it anymore. <laughs> I, I think it's, <laughs> yeah. And so all, what I want to do is help people who, who are coming out of it. That's, yeah. that's kind of my, is help them sure. to, to deconstruct and <clears throat> reconstruct and whatever that means. I'll, I'm just here to help them. So the people I talk to, I try to get as many perspectives as I can in the hopes that it'll resonate with somebody out there. It won't resonate with everybody, but mm. it'll resonate with someone. Yeah. And I can help one person by with one podcast one week, then that's 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 cool. Yeah. No, it's like it's like the it I see it in my mind as like the good Samaritan. In in that story, the Samaritan was someone that you know, they were taught by the Jewish people that the Samaritans are bad. That's our enemy. That's not who we want to hang out with, or that's, that's a really negative type of person. And pastors are saying all that kinds of things about you and me and Keith. We're the bad guys that are causing a lot of trouble. You kind of want to stay away from them. But whenever they get beat up by the church and they stumble out and, you know, like our, their life is falling apart, you're that guy that everybody in the church said you were the bad guy, but you end up being someone who genuinely cares for people. Who's like, Hey, you don't have to fit into any kind of theological frame for me to want to help you. Does that make sense? I could be totally off base, but that's how I'm seeing like where you're at mentally now. Yeah, it's, it's true. And not only that, because we've come out of that pastoral story and been burned out, been beat up, been kicked to the curb, Man, we know what we're talking about. We've yeah. all been there. <laughs> you yeah. know, I, I came out of 12 years of ministry absolutely burned out. I didn't want to have anything to do with the church ever again. And I, I then came back and spent about six years in a church over here in the UK. And that, that kind of healed me up. I really did. It wasn't all bad. Yeah. So it wasn't a uniformly bad thing. I, I got a lot of love and relationships that, that really helped us heal. So it was. It wasn't a bad experience altogether, but then we finally couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> we we got out, you know, about ten years ago. So it wasn't all Fair a enough. horrible thing. All right, so let's move on to your second point. Um, <laughs> Keith's being official. So you say that there are two elements of deconstruction. Can you talk about those? Ah, uh, yes. This is another thing I'm stealing from the naked pastor, but I learned this from David Hayward that he says, for one thing, on the one hand, you've got this issue of deconstructing your relationship with the church, and the other hand is deconstructing your theological, biblical sort of worldview. And I've, I've done a lot of thinking and writing about those two things, because I've realized that people go down different paths. Sometimes you're in a church, and you start questioning things, and you end up running afoul of the leadership and getting kicked out or, or blacklisted, and then you, you leave, but you're still a Christian. And then you got to deal with all that because it's the loss of relationships and family and, and the church, the community. That's huge. But then the other, sometimes someone is in there going, I've got a lot of questions, but I, I still want to maybe stay in the system. Or they realize, no, I can't stay. And I mean, that's our whole identity. It's everything. Yeah. yeah. You know, we, we read the Bible, we studied it, we, you know, I preached it, I taught it. It was, you know, it informed my decisions and, and it was all about God's will. And now I'm deconstructing that. That's, that's a huge piece. Yeah, so, that's, in, that's a huge, you're right. <laughs> because okay. the one, on, when you're deconstructing your relationship with the church, you got to look at the social costs that a yeah. lot of people pay and financial costs. Leaving the church, you lose friendships and family members disown you and 
you know, people shun you and stuff. And that's, that's very painful. Yeah. But then deconstructing your, your theo- your theology and your views on the Bible, man, that's, that's hugely threatening because it was our very, it was our identity. Exactly. It costs your identity to start deconstructing those things. There's a huge cost to be paid with either one of those paths. And that's kind of the thing about deconstruction is you got to, you got to walk down those paths and keep walking them and, you know, deal with that, the grief and the loss and, and all of the stuff that you left behind. You might need counseling. You might need therapy. People are very angry. They, they stay angry at the church. I mean, I was angry for years at the church mm-hmm. and it's right served in a lot of ways, but yeah. you can't stay. That's the thing. You can't live in that anger and live angry. It's so unhealthy. Yeah. So it's unhealthy. No, I like the way you listed those two because it follows in that particular order for most people. For me, definitely. When I left the church, that's the only thing I was deconstructing was church. When we started this podcast, our uh, motto, our mantra, which has changed over time, when we first started this, Ben, mm-hmm. it was uh, a lot of people have left churches and we want to be able to communicate with those people in an effective way on how to go, how to be Christians after leaving church. And that was literally the only thing we were focused on. Not that that's not a part of it anymore. Yeah. But that was our focus was, all right, let's deal with this relationship with church. But I found over, you know, the year and a half that we've been doing this, that we've gotten into deconstructing personal beliefs, regardless to how deep or to what extent either of us have deconstructed we've gone from simply deconstructing how we look at church and how we interact with church and pastors like if you look at a lot of our early episodes it's just talking about mega churches and talking about tithing and then mm-hmm. somewhere around episode 35 40 it got into do i believe in god <laughs> for me <laughs> yeah. no i remember it specifically there was there was a i was on one of your birthdays I came over and the topic of conversation in the basement was, is hell even real? And that's when I was like, oh, yeah. man, we're, we're taking it there. We're going to start ripping this whole thing apart until we figure it out. <laughs> yeah, that's where it started. We started deconstructing our actual theological slash biblical views. <laughs> but it's a natural progression from one to the next. Once you get out from under people pressuring you to believe a certain way, y- you realize that's completely unhealthy. And then you start deconstructing church and the further away you get from it, the more freedom you feel. And you're like, I wonder if I can spread my wings a little further and, you know, evaluate God himself and find out what I really believe about him. What what really kind of did it for me was I heard Richard Rohr speak and he, he was talking about his two halves of life kind of model of theology. And he said something that really blew my mind. He said, most organized religion is designed to keep people in the trapped in the first half of their life. And yep. it just blew my mind because I said, whoa. Yeah. The thing, and so if, if we're going to church to be confirmed in what we already believe, it's no wonder that once we leave the church, we, it, that, that programming is, has been interrupted. It's almost it's like brainwashing in a way because every week <laughs> yeah. you're listening to a sermon and it's a powerful message from the Bible. And it's you know building you up in your faith and confirming your beliefs and all that. And then after you leave that, you're going, whoa, whoa. This is like waking up from a dream. I, I, I can think for myself, and yeah. I, I have that freedom say to start questioning then, what do I believe, and is this really that important? 
maybe not. Maybe not as important as I once thought it was. Yeah. Uh, for for me, like when I left the church and I started deconstructing my relationship with it, I mean, that that bad boy was already falling apart. My relationship with the church was already falling apart while I was still there. Before you even left. Yeah, yeah. so much so that it fell apart to the point where they're like, you got to get out of here, man. You're freaking people out. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and uh, nope. but I, I literally just I started to, you know, take my I, I guess you could say belief in my hand. And ju- I just was trying to scrub it clean of all of the, you know, other people's influences. It wasn't, I wanted to scrub it down until it was just what I believed was the only thing that I had left in my hands. Not what people had taught me, not what, uh, you know, sermons I had watched. I was just trying to scrub all of the outside influence other than me and Jesus off of that thing. And it surprised me when I started to like, you know, I guess you could say wash away the parts of the church that I just knew were unhealthy. There were some chunks of what I thought God was that fell off. You know, it was like, it was, yeah. it was also dirt that was like, oh, I don't believe that. I, I, you know, inerrancy, that was a, to me, that was like a part of who God is. His word is inerrant. There's nothing wrong with it. It, it means what it says. It set, you know, it means what it says. And then I started scrubbing and, you know, my relationship with church started to decrease and then fundamentalism fell off. And I'm like, oh, holy crap. I'm going to keep scrubbing until I figure out what's really real, you know? And when I get done with this, I guess what I'm going to have is when I'm done deconstructing, it will just be me and the Jesus that I personally, without any outside influence, have found and believe in. And then I'm just going to start building from there is kind of how I see it. That's your goal. Well, uh, the, the problem with that is, though, that the Jesus of the Gospels may not be the true Jesus anyway. That's a whole nother issue yeah. when you get into so. That's something that I've had to wrestle with is that everyone's taken and co-opted Jesus for their own ends. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he's the hippie Jesus. He's the Republican Jesus. He's the gun-toting NRA Jesus. He's yeah. the <laughs> troops Jesus. Or he's a hippie guru on the beach with a surfboard. I mean, that's my favorite one, any- the hippie guru. Have guys. you guys, <laughs> wait, I got to interrupt you. Have you guys seen this? Uh, it's like a news blooper. And this guy's like, there's two things I believe in in America. And that's the First Amendment and boobs. and this the the female uh uh interviewer she was like what what he's like yeah the two things that have never let me down in life the first amendment and boobies it's not it's not some (laughs) random guy it's like a guy in a suit from a respectable news network that says it and it's it's so cringeworthy it is i don't know why that came up in our conversation but (laughs) it had to be done (laughs) no but uh no, I, I think Ben is correct. When the moment, and I think you're correct too, um, Clint, because at the moment you take fundamentalism fundamentalism out of the picture is the moment everything has the possibility of falling apart. Yeah, even the even the Jesus of the Gospels. I mean, yeah, truly. Yeah. It, it hasn't fallen apart for me, but it, it very well could. But, mm-hmm. you know, as of now, I'm still, I'm still pretty fond of that guy. I think he's legit, but... That's just where I'm at in the journey. But you since fundamentalism has fallen away, you know, when you take away inerrancy from scripture, you just open yourself up to like, this whole thing might just fall apart. Let's see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I say the questioning the Jesus of the gospels, because that was, that's part of the progression for me as well. When I, when the inerrancy piece fell away, I already, I already had studied, you know, source criticism and form criticism. I mean, I wrote my dissertation on that in the book of Ezekiel. 
Um, and I had to go through all those things, you know, different sources that made up the book. And man, I got yelled at by a fundamentalist for saying some things in my, my thesis paper. <laughs> he didn't like that, you know. <laughs> yeah. What is he still wrote the whole book, period. You know, Moses wrote the Pentateuch from beginning to end. There were no sources. What are you talking about, you flaming liberal? You know, and it was <laughs> you know, and I'm, I kind of walked away with my head reeling. I was like, what the hell just happened? This, yeah. you know. I did collegiate study and they got mad at me. <laughs> this was doing a master's level at seminary. This was one of the professors. For, oh, he he had taught Bible for 25 years. He screamed at me in his office. Oh, my gosh. Because you know, I dared to say that, you know, some books of the Bible might actually have been composed of various sources, which has been, well, it's, it's, everyone <laughs> knows that's the truth, but not him, you know? <laughs> Every book that has a name attached to it, that's who wrote it, period. You know, so Jonah wrote Jonah, Isaiah wrote Isaiah, Moses wrote the pen, you know. It's and that's such uh, an unhealthy what can you mindset, do? but it's yeah. You can't talk to a guy like that. He's just shouting at me in his office. I thought he was, I thought his head was going to explode. But but there's so un- many people that are like that. That's like, I'm, I'm going to say like uh, being very generous, I would say 50% of, you know, preachers that are out there feel the way that guy does. Mm-hmm. No, whatever I believe and was taught, I've been holding on to it like it was bar none truth. I've never had an ounce of uncertainty about it. And if you want to present something that makes me uncertain of my belief, I'm afraid and angry. I'm really... I will attack you. My survival instinct is kicking in and you will lay off of no, that's what it is. theology. <laughs> it's it's survival instinct. I mean, it's, it's the same thing. You go to try and take a, a piece of meat from a wild animal. That's what that is truth to them. That is their Bible right there. You touched that, they will bite your hand off. That's what like disagreeing with, you know, that your college professor you're talking about. That's what it like that animalistic response is what he had. He's like, did you just attack my theology with another idea? Yeah. And then just flipped out like a animal that was trying to, you know, this is my last piece of meat and I need to survive. Yeah. Yeah, well, and it's fascinating when you look at the evangelical or fundamentalist responses to things like that, because I just did a recording with a friend of mine, it's going to come out in a few weeks, where we talked about the movie The Last Temptation of Christ. And it's a fascinating discussion, because in doing research for the podcast, we talked about the reactions to the movie. And that's, that's, that's what's so telling about the whole thing. The way the fundamentalists and the evangelicals reacted when the movie came out in 1988 they flipped out. It was heresy, it was blasphemy, and all this, and you start reading these articles about what they were saying, it's exactly the same kind of mentality. You're attacking Jesus, yeah. and you can't, you can't have that. He's divine, and you're portraying him as a human, and he, just, he had sex, and you can't have that. And you, you know, They just flipped out. It was yeah. fight or flight. They, they went down the fight route, man, and, you know... So well, that, we just... It, that, we... We just did an episode on fundamentalism and uh, with our buddy Joseph, super smart guy. And that's kind of like what it is. If you, if a fundamentalist holds these things to be truth, the every word in the Bible is 100% literate truth. If you question that, that's what it becomes. It becomes a fight mentality because you are questioning their truth. You, you are saying that what they believe isn't correct. Therefore, they have to they have to fight because of that, because if, if you say one, if they were to admit that one thing in the fundamentalist view is wrong, they would have to admit that all of it could be wrong. And that can't happen. 
and and they'll beat the heaven out of you. They'll 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 steal your salvation right there in the moment. They'll be oh wait, you disagree with fundamentalism? Your salvation is revoked. Yeah, you will burn yeah. in hell forever. <laughs> Somehow they're in charge of it. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know you were in charge of my salvation. I guess uh, I guess you are. <laughs> yeah, well, it's identity piece, isn't it? It's, it's the worldview level stuff. When you when you're attacking or perceived to attack someone's worldview level beliefs, man, you've never seen anyone get so angry so fast. Yeah, and that's why I was surprised that this guy was my my second reader for my MA thesis at seminary, and I needed him. And then I went into my other guy's office, the first reader, and I said, I just got screamed at in his office. He said, You got to delete that whole chapter. And I said, well, well, so in a, in a higher education academic setting here, we're not free to actually explore other ideas. No. He said, you have to delete it because he'll never sign, he'll never sign your thesis. You'll never crazy. get your degree. Garbage. And I did. I had, delete, I had to delete the whole chapter. I spent, you know, wow. weeks working on it. It was all deleted. And so what the hell? I mean, that's, that's so, so that's bad. What I deleted the whole chapter, and I had to. Otherwise, I wouldn't have got my degree. I'm sorry, man. Oh, it's literally, <laughs> I don't know why I'm apologizing, but it, I'm it's sorry. It's literally like, you believe what we believe, or GTFO, you can't play. <laughs> yeah. And that's what he... And it was sad that uh, that he told me I had to delete it, and he he didn't go to bat for me. He didn't say, hey, no, we're going to fight this thing. We're not, You know, this is this is crap. What the hell? This isn't This isn't how we do academics here. No, he said, "You gotta, you gotta, you know, fold under the pressure and get rid of it. Otherwise, you know, it's not a hill worth dying on." Basically. Wow. Uh, so That's I got insane. my degree. I jumped through her stupid hoops. That's the way it went. Dang. That's fundamental, as you say. That's the reaction yeah. you get. Sometimes. So strong. I mean, it, it, even in like we take that to another, you know, academic field like science, it, like, they might say. Well, that's a very interesting take that disagrees with all of our studies thus far, but it's interesting. They wouldn't tell you that you can't think it or you can't have a degree, you know? <laughs> well, and they know that most scientific um, discoveries have come as a result of somebody suggesting something totally radical and that no one's ever thought of before. And then they chase that down and there's something to it and they have to rewrite their whole their whole uh, understanding of everything. Yeah. So, you know, but that's what, you know, Carl Sagan in his book. Um, I love Carl Sagan. I love all of yeah, his stuff. Yeah. Demon haunted world. That's what he says that if you compare science and religion, the two don't operate at all alike, but religion should operate like science. We should have the freedom to question things and, and, and offer new alternative views without being censored, as you said, but that's not the way it works. In religion, in many cases, certainly not in fundamentalism, you have to toe the line. Yeah, and that's—it's an anti-intellectual, anti—you know—discovery kind of bias, which is really sad. Yeah, <laughs> shame. Yeah, I mean, we could we could talk about fundamentalism all night, but for the sake of uh, your time, um, let's can we move on to the next point of uh, talking about dealing with grief and loss of family, loss of you know your church, your the members and the community that you are the most close to. Now all of that is stripped away. What the hell do you do now? Well, in some cases, you might have to go to therapy. You yeah. might need counseling. Yeah. Fair. And that's, that's part of the... Some people have to go... I've gone down that route myself. 
Um, I got therapy and counseling. I didn't know I was getting it for my deconstruction, but you know, that mm-hmm. was part of the thing. I think we tend to sometimes we feel isolated. I hear this a lot. I'm the only one going through this. No one understands what I'm what's going on here. No one understands. But when you plug into that community, that's why that ex evangelical, ex evangelical community is so important to be a part of. Yeah. For someone who left it because it's empowering. It gives you the language to describe your experiences. And you go, okay, I'm not crazy. I'm not alone. There are dozens of us. You know, there's <laughs> certainly. Yeah. The way it is. There's, there's thousands, millions of people potentially. Um, there and- are 12 <laughs> of us. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, I was just messing oh, with it. You said dozens. So I was just, I was just making a joke. Yeah. No, there, <laughs> there, there are 12 of us. There's tons. Tons of people. Of us. <laughs> No, you're right. I mean, uh, for me personally, I mean, luckily, when I left the church, I wasn't alone. A lot of there were people who saw the same things who left before me. And then after I left, uh, when me and my wife left the church, I feel like it kind of like opened the floodgates. And um, after we left, about 80 percent of our friend group left from that church because it was pretty uh, available uh, information what was going on there. Yeah. So, I mean, luckily for us, it wasn't that way, but I could understand how someone could feel that. Like, like they're like, shit, man, I just lost everything. I just lost all my friends. Most times I lost my family because church is such a family activity in America, especially. You know, like, yeah. if, I, if I decide I'm not going to this church anymore, like, I, um, one of my buddies, he, uh, he got married to uh, Ryan and Jenny. Her brother was going to Living Water a long time ago. Yeah, oh yeah. And he left, and his whole family looked at him like he was a sinner, and we all looked at him like he needed to come back to the true fold of God. Um, we were a super disappointment. Like, yeah, you have so much potential. Why are you wasting it? Because he wasn't going to the church we were going to. Yeah, he was looked down upon by us, but not only us. My point is the fact. That his very family, his mom, his dad, his sister, looked at him like, not that he was less of a person, but he was less of a Christian because he wasn't going to this church anymore. Yeah, and there's the other angle to that as well is after you get out of the church and leave, you lose those relationships and family becomes awkward and weird. A lot of times I hear stories about ex-evangelicals whose parents, grandparents are still in the system and, and they're very manipulative. You know, the kids will go to stay for the weekend at grandma and grandpa's house, and they'll take them to church, and they'll send them home with a Bible and tracts and all this kind of stuff. And they'll do horrible, abusive, manipulative things to the to the to their own children and yeah. people that they And so you, you never seem to be able to get away from it. you got to have that discussion with friends, family, that, hey, there's i got I got to draw boundaries here. I'm not comfortable with you proselytizing my children or, or whatever the behavior might be. So these are ongoing problems that we have to deal with in this deconstruction process. Oh, man, it just sucks that like – and the thing that it really makes me sad is that those grandparents that are doing those kinds of things, they genuinely believe what they're doing is loving their children. They think that that's what love does is it manipulates 
and and speak the truth it, in love. It doesn't matter yeah. if you're manipulating your kids using your grandkids as long as everyone's going to start believing in that Jesus again. It's all it's all under the blood. It was all you, worth you, it. You manipulate yeah. and you do whatever hurtful thing you need to to get someone saved is gross. Like, well, it's like almost really a, makes me want to puke. It's, it's disgusting. It's, I would equate it to the to to the same relationship that political parties will manipulate and cheat and lie to get people into offices because they were <laughs> fighting. They're fighting for their political party. Because and if we win, it doesn't matter what we say. We just it doesn't matter what we had to do. It doesn't matter how we had to lie, who we had to throw under the bus. Our guy won. Our party is winning, and whatever. So it was all worth it. And if love is the goal, the ends just don't justify the means. Like at the at the very bottom of it, if you're like the greatest commandment Jesus gave is to, you know, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love each other as you love yourself, you're totally, for whatever reason, people think it's totally fine to rip that up into pieces, throw it out the window, all in the name of getting someone saved. It just, it, it, it's it's so backwards. It's so messed up. And I, I, I see the, the heart of the grandparent in that situation is broken, and they just want their kid to, you know, in their brain be saved and not burn in hell. But you're, you're literally shaming more of the Bible than you're honoring by treating people that way and manipulating them. And yeah, it's just, sorry. I don't know. I got emotional about that. I had to say something. <laughs> now you're good. They don't, they wouldn't see it as manipulative at all. That's the whole thing. They're not being in their minds. They're being loving. They're, like you said, they're, they're speaking the truth. Yeah. I'm doing the most loving thing to you to tell you the truth. You're going to hell. And if you're offended by that, well, that's that's not my problem. That's not my fault. It's the truth. And if you're hurt by it, well, it maybe maybe I'm going to get through to you. That's, that's God that's, offending that's, you. Geez. That's not me offending you. That's God offending you. And you should take that and use it to change your life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, how many times I've heard it said, don't be angry with me. Be angry with what's said in the Bible. I didn't write it. I'm just telling you the truth. Be angry with Paul. Be angry with Jesus. You know? Yeah. And that's, oh, my that's, gosh. They're not, their mind, they're, they're doing all the right things. That's and if you're sad. offended or hurt, well, hey, I was right, so that's all that matters. Hey, everybody. Thanks again for listening. This has been our second installment of our interview with the MindShift podcast, uh, a.k.a. Clint Teacock. And he's a really cool guy doing some really cool stuff. If you are interested in anything that he's doing, head over to mindshift podcast on twitter you can find it you can find it on itunes and i think he said uh, podbean is where he's at on android so anyways i look for him on those on those platforms you can hit him up on facebook on twitter um all that good stuff and uh if you haven't yet head over to our facebook page like share follow join the group get connected because we really want to meet you guys and know your stories and hang out with you like I said last episode, I really want to start. Um, I, I want to start a segment where we do, where, where we read reviews and not reviews, but reading people's stories. Like send in where you've came from in religion, as opposed to where you're at. If you're an atheist, if you're a Christian, if you're a Buddhist, if you're a Muslim, I don't care. What I want to do is tell your story. I want to um, 
promote this journey that everyone's on trying to find truth and enlightenment in whatever way possible. So please do that. Head over to Twitter, Instagram, go to iTunes, rate and review, download our stuff. It helps us out a ton. And until next time, bye-bye.